Preachers, like politicians, can hunger for the praise and acclaim of a large crowd. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas kept penetrating what is now south-central Turkey with the good news about Jesus, and they were a long way from professional orators seeking only to tickle the ears of a crowd. With our study leader Dave Wurtson, let's join Paul and Barnabas on their campaign trail to win hearts for Christ. Can you imagine the Academy Awards if they announced the Oscar and there was nobody in the theater, absolutely nobody, just an empty crowd? How do you think the actors and actresses would like that? You see, if you're in Hollywood, the point is to get the acclaim of the crowd. And they bask as thousands and millions join in. You know, if it's NFL football, can you imagine the Super Bowl? We now announce that nobody is watching the Super Bowl this year. Absolutely nobody. Players aren't going to play for that. There's so many areas of life where we live for the crowd. We see the presidential race really heating up. As you watch the candidates stumping for votes and they're on train whistle tours, if a candidate shows up at a high school that's been announced that they're going to be there and nobody's there, it's over. It's over. So we all understand that there's situations in life where the crowd needs to respond to us. And the question I want to ask you is, how motivated are you by the crowd? You see, preachers can be really motivated by the crowd. In fact, as Americans, we're really into the crowd because that's the way we evaluate things. How big is it? How many people are influenced by it? Because that's what we're really skillful at. So one of the big questions we want to ask ourselves is, what about the crowd? How am I motivated by the crowd? In chapter 14 of Acts, if you turn to Acts chapter 14, we're going to continue on the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. This is the first mission. You want to know what's the mission of the church? They fasted, they prayed, and the church of Antioch, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and he sent out their two most effective teachers, and they went into an area that had never heard the gospel. It actually was what's now modern-day Turkey, which is still a really tough mission field. So we're going to go back in the first century. We're actually going to have the Apostle Paul build a story. Dr. Luke is going to talk about Paul and Barnabas going in this mission. We're going to have them leave Antioch of Pisidia. They dust the dust off their feet because the Lord said, if they don't receive in one city, go to the next. If people are really turning you off in one situation, in one opportunity, keep on going. Don't let it stop you. They actually traveled to the south and to the east. And they come along a very powerful Via Sebast, which was one of the most traveled roads that went through the southern part of Turkey. And they come to the next city. You look at it in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. It's the city of Iconium. And what the Apostle Paul does in this chapter is he introduces us to his themes. And I, I'm going to read it to you in just a minute, but you can start to get the idea. In all of these places, Paul, if there is a synagogue, Paul and Barnabas go into the synagogue. In the ancient world, synagogues was a place of connection. How many of you would say, man, synagogues in my life are really a place of connection? No, it isn't. For most of you, synagogues aren't your place of connection. But I've had several of you tell me, I heard somebody last night said, two of my close friends are Jewish. So that's their synagogue connection today. Who are your people at work? As we read these passages, Paul and Barnabas show us that you need to have a point of connection. And I want you to be thinking all the way through, what are your points of connection? Then I want you to realize, as you make those connections, you boldly present the gospel, then what's going to happen? 
Well, we expect there to be a great response, and there is. There's a tremendous response in in this incredible city. But when there's a great response, there's also opposition. So one of the major points of this text of chapter 14 is to show us that there can be intense opposition. In fact, there can be martyrdom. And yet, should we stop? Should we keep going? You're going to have to decide today, should I keep proclaiming the gospel? Especially when people get angry, when they turn me off, when I lose my job, or when my life is even threatened in many places in the world. And that's what's going to happen in this chapter. So we're going to have a story that takes place, first of all, in Iconium. Then we're going to go to Lystra. Luke, writing this story, kind of sets the scene. And at Lystra, that's going to be our focus today. And that's where everything's going to come to a head. And then we're going to wind down and we're going to finish this narrative. We're going to rise up, begin to have the story unfold. We're going to get to a great climax. And then we're going to come back and finish the first missionary journey. Let's see what we can learn about a crowd response. How many of you have ever felt, man, I want my peer group to like me? It didn't just happen in high school, did it? How many of you have ever wanted the praise of the crowd? Well, is that a worthwhile objective? Let's let's see what it says. Look at Acts chapter 14. It says that Iconium, Paul and Barnabas, went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. That was their, their strategy, their normal modus operandi. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles, and they poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous wonders, signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot that became afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders. That's the leaders of the city and the leaders of the the Jews and Gentiles to mistreat them and to stone them. So a plot arises that the tremendous threat to stone Paul and Barnabas. But they found out about it and they fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe. Now we move a little bit farther to the east a little bit farther south along the same road. Now we're into backwoods. So some of you that like cowboy country, this is first century Wild West territory, only it's in this South Galatian part of what's now Turkey. They came to the cities of Lister and Derby to the surrounding country where they continue to preach the good news, and that'll lead us in to the main thrust of this passage. But Luke just set us up. The first thing that he tells us is that there was a persuasive proclamation of the gospel. He says that Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a way as they followed their method to call people to the gospel. I want to ask you, what are your connections? What are your synagogue connections? You say, Dave, I don't have any. Yes, you do. How many of you teach Little League sports? As I look over our ministry here in Midlothian, one of the dominant ways that the Lord touched lives with the gospel was through Little League sports. If I were to look at the Little League sports program in Midlothian, it's filled with believers. That's one of your major connections. That's the place where if you live for Christ, if you're controlled by the Spirit, the Lord Jesus will give you powerful opportunities to boldly present the gospel. In your work, how many of you work this week? How many of you work in what you'd call secular jobs this week? Anybody? Okay, how many of you know unbelievers in your secular jobs that you come in contact with for hours and hours this coming week? Okay, that's your connection. 
And because we've been together this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to powerfully work in your life that you boldly present the gospel. And what that means is not that you get up on your little soapbox and you preach, but it means when you go out to lunch and somebody asks you, you know, hey, now I'm really pressured, man. This is a stressful time in the economy. How in the world do you have peace? And you say, well, man, I'm just like you. I wouldn't have peace at all. I'm a worry war. But you know what? I met someone who told me not to worry about anything. That I don't need to worry that he'll take care of me and he'll clothe me more beautifully than the beautiful flowers, like a beautiful blue bond in the spring. He promised me that he'd feed me even better than the birds. And so I'm not stressed out about it. And then just drop it. And a few weeks later, somebody come to you and says, hey, I'm still stressed out. Who is this special guy that you got? And you tell them about Jesus. That's what I want you to do. You start sharing the gospel and you do it boldly. You, you do it with great courage. And one of the things Satan will do is he'll try to get you to keep your mouth shut. We need to pray for one another in our small groups, in our Sunday school classes, in our meetings during the week. Every one of you need to have prayer about, Lord, help us to make the connection. And then give us wisdom how to boldly persuade people. The gospel will not return void. As you do share Christ consistently over time, there will be those that will respond. And that's what this text is saying. It says that the Apostle Paul spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed really burdened about if we don't grow as a church family we're going to die this church is going to die unless the spirit of god powerfully and mightily raises up the next generation and that's what's happening in this text you know how you're going to keep things going if you when i tell you today i want you to think of an unbeliever that you can make connections with that you will boldly present the gospel to And if we do that for the next six months, if every one of you reads just one, then we're not going to die. And I want you to know that the body of Christ at every stage, when I started here with eight couples, we didn't have a ghost of a chance. I want you to understand that. My Christian buddies that were that were here in Midlothian thought we were really weird because we didn't wear coats and ties and we sat on stools and played guitar. Now, everything is reversed. Now, everybody does that. And now... A lot of us say, well, man, I want the organ again, especially if you're a little bit older. You see how things move and change. You say, but what makes it live? What makes it come alive? Well, every one of you, it begins with you. Will you be a Paul and Barnabas? Will you make your connections? Will you persuasively, powerfully present the good news of Jesus Christ? And if you do, the Lord often brings a great number of response. My passion is I don't want a bunch of believers. I'm really serious about this. There's believers in our culture a dime a dozen. You live in one of the most evangelized cultures in the world. We don't need to reach a lot of people that already are reached. Will you pray with me? Lord, help us to figure out the synagogues of, of Iconium. Help us to find out the connections that really get me in touch with unbelievers. We believe with me. We boldly present the gospel that a great number will believe. When that happens, you need to be ready. There will be opposition. I want to prepare you. Don't quit when there's opposition. Notice what it says here. It says they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But verse 2 tells us, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and they poured in their mind against the believers. 
So how many of you love to have people have their mind poisoned against you? Boy, that's great stuff. Now, the next line should read, they split the city. But it doesn't. That's what blows my mind. You see, there's tension. They did that in Antioch after they were refused and their life were threatened. You do need to run when your life is really threatened. But I want you to know that Paul and Barnabas don't cave in when there's opposition. When you get opposition at work, when you get opposition in your school, when you get opposition in your family, don't quit on it. Don't get angry and fight fire with fire, but keep persuading, keep boldly presenting, keep praying and asking the Lord. I promise you, if you do it over time, you'll have people that you never dreamed would become followers of Jesus. They become followers of Jesus. And that's what this text is telling you. Well, we believe that the first century power of the gospel can be evident in 21st century America and in the world today. Can we believe that, huh? That's the point here. So Paul and Barnabas keep running going. They continue to prayerfully speak boldly for the Lord. They're not speaking for themselves, but they're speaking boldly for the Lord. And God continued to confirm their message of grace. It's the word of grace. That's the message that you don't get to heaven by working and struggling and seeking to be religious. That's the marvelous good news that you get to heaven just by believing that you receive a free gift from the Lord. That's what this word of grace is about. And we never move away from the word of grace. And as we grow in the Lord, the Lord confirmed it through the apostolic gifts of miraculous signs and wonders. And we'll talk about that more when we get into a big miracle that's going to take place at Lystra. The people of the city, though, were divided. And some of them sided with the apostles, some with the Jews. A plot arose from the Gentiles, and they were getting ready to mistreat and stone them. And these believers aren't stupid. So if you're a missionary... And if you're in a country where you suddenly get the report that they're coming to machine gun you, if you have the opportunity to get out, get out. And this is real stuff because, see, we've had young people sitting here. Right now, one of them is in a very strategic mission with a bunch of brothers and sisters helping to do that. And we need to pray this morning. Do you want this to be alive? Pray that you know when to run. Like when you need to be wise as a serpent. I want you to see this incredible wisdom. Paul and Barnabas are going to say, we're going to take it. You know, we can do it. Man, they find out about a plot. The Lord skillfully exposed them. Maybe some of the policemen in, in their new group of believers that, hey, man, we figured out there's a bad undercurrent here. They're going to take you out. They go to the next city. But they leave the believers behind in Iconium, and the gospel's not going to fail there. So they fled on. They went to the Lyconian cities, and Lyconia is the Wild West. It's a, they don't even speak Greek there very well. They speak Lyconian. They go to Lystra and Derby, the surrounding country. But I want you to hear where they continue to preach the good news. So that one of Luke's thought is even when there's opposition, how do you respond to opposition? You continue to preach the good news. If the Lord starts to shut down doors for us and we face political persecution, whatever it might be, as a church family, don't get so uptight about that. Just keep presenting the good news. Our brothers and sisters in China were shut down for more than 60 years. Mao Tsung took the leaders of the evangelical church and just killed them. But believers like you were left behind. And as soon as the pressure was taken off, they continued to gossip the gospel. And the Chinese church today is one of the most vibrant churches in the world. The Holy Spirit is exploding in China, so much so that the Chinese government doesn't quite know what to do with it. 
And that's the power of the gospel. And you're going to find that over and over and over again, that if you keep on responding to persecution, not with anger, not with withdrawal, but with bold witness, we're going to be okay. So Luke gave us an introductory story. Now he pushes. We're going up the area of tension. There's a possibility they're going to present the gospel. There's going to be big opposition. And they might even get stoned for it. Now we have his centralized story in the next verses. They come to Lystra which is about 100 miles from Antioch of Pisidia, where we had the big message from Paul in the Jewish synagogue. So if you want to figure out how did Paul talk to Jewish audiences, go back to the previous chapter. You'll learn how to do that. In this chapter, we now move to total pagans. Can the gospel reach total pagans? Can the Lord reach them? They don't go to Jewish synagogue. They don't go to church. They haven't been to church. Some of them wouldn't dream of going to church. Can you reach them? Well, this is what Lystra's like. There's not even a synagogue there. So you can't follow your usual procedure. They somehow, Paul and Barnabas, arrive in the city. Look what it says. In Lystra, there's sat a man crippled in his feet. Notice how Dr. Luke starts his story. He's crippled in his feet. What's the first thing you think? Man, there's tension here. If we were in a gathering of, of believers and unbelievers kind of mixed together, and there's someone here that's crippled, that's a big thing. We all notice it, okay? And we want to be a church family that's really open to those that have special needs. And we're really working to see God's power at work in their life. But there's a cripple sitting there. Then Luke ups the ante and says, he's lame from birth. He's never walked. What is Luke telling you? This guy can't go to the Shriners Hospital. But this guy doesn't even have a hope going to Shriners in Dallas. That's the point. This guy is totally hopeless. He was born this way. He's never walked. No hope at all. Look what's going to happen. While Paul was speaking, it says he listened to Paul. So that's really important. As you sit here today, some of you are listening. Some of you aren't. And I want you to realize when you present the gospel, some of the people listen. Some of them don't. When you proclaim to people, you've got to realize some people listen and some people don't. And you need to understand that. But you need to notice that every time you present the gospel, there's a good chance there's someone listening. And Paul was sensitive to that. Like I can almost tell as I teach you this morning, if Mary's mad at me, she's on a mission with Paul and Martin. They're actually connecting with unbelievers in a photography class this morning. So the preacher's wife isn't here today. She's connecting, which is what we want to do in this church family. They're having a field trip where they're going on a photography mission. But Mary would tell you if she was here that when she's angry with me, she doesn't hear me. And that's true of you. You don't listen to someone when you're angry at them. When an unbeliever is fighting against the gospel, they tend to be strong and not listen. And if you're going to be a good communicator, you don't quit because of that. And you could pray for me in that. In my own natural personality, I want you to respond to me. I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to like what I have to say. I want you to pat me in the back and say, wow, that was such a great, great teaching. You're a mouth for the glory of the Lord. I want a crowd to respond. One of the things the Lord's really teaching me as I grow older is forget it, Dave. Some of your best teaching comes when they want to stone you. Some of your best teaching comes like Peter preached in Acts chapter two and 3000 people got saved. When Stephen preached in the same city, they killed him. Now, who was the effective preacher? 
In fact, I would tell you, Stephen was so effective. If you go back and analyze the way he presented, he was so powerful, so effective. That's what got him killed. And I want you to start to think like that. And I want to pray that the preachers that we generate and the teachers we generate in our church are not going to think of how do I win this crowd? Because we ain't ever going to tell the truth about Jesus if that's our point. We have enough politicians that know how to use eloquence and rhetoric and oratory to win a crowd. And how many of you are pleased with them? So please, let's not do it in the body of Christ. One of the things that Paul knows, though, as he presents the gospel, there are those that will respond. He notices that the Spirit of God is really speaking to this man. He's responding to the gospel of faith. And while Paul was speaking, he looked directly at him, and he saw that he had faith. And the word to be healed means to be saved, which is the spiritual condition. But in this case, it's going to manifest itself with a powerful evidence of God's power, and the Lord's going to raise them up. Paul's an apostle. He says, stand up on your feet. The man said, I'm sorry. I can't do it. Don't you know I'm crippled? Don't you know that I was born this way? Remember when the Lord said, do you want to get healed? To the man that was lying at the pool all that long? I want to ask you, you want to get up? Some of you are dead spiritually this morning. You're frustrated. You're angry. You're wondering what in the world is going to happen in all different kinds of areas in your life. And that's worse than being crippled physically. <laughs> You're crippled internally. You're crippled in your spirit. You're scared. You're fearful. That leads to being angry. The Lord says, get up. Start sharing the gospel. Believe in the power of the gospel. Start being willing to put up with persecution. Be willing to put up with rejection. If your peer group at the high school rejects you, hang in there. Keep proclaiming. In this case, the man needed physical healing. It said, Paul looked directly at him and said, stand up. And at that, the man jumped up and he began to walk. And the crowd saw what Paul had done. They shouted in the Lyconian language. That's a language that Paul wouldn't understand and Barnabas wouldn't understand. The gods had come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city. Technically, we'll love this. He brings a bull. It was probably an ox and not really a bull, but we'll make it a, a big longhorns bull. And he puts wreaths of flowers on his horns and they're going to sacrifice What a great response. Remember I told you, you never know what's going to happen when you present the gospel and God moves. In the first century, there were power encounters. There's also power encounters as the gospel invades new areas, but I want you not to be unaware of the power encounters we have here. I want us to be a church family that believes when we pray that we've got an incredible, loving, powerful Savior that wants to bring healing. Amen? I want you to be people of faith that believe the Holy Spirit didn't just work in the first century, but he works today. And I don't believe that we have apostles that are breathing out the inspired word of God today. I think there was a special touch of the Spirit. But I want you to really understand that I don't think the New Testament teaches that the powerful, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit stopped working in the first century. But I think he manifests itself often by you as a group of believers really praying. You're in a church family that we prayed, laid hands on Debbie when she had her bone marrow transplant. We prayed with her all the way through Baylor that it was like launching the space shuttle. She's all isolated and everything. And she's been fine. We don't even think about it hardly anymore. And she has her grandkids and everything else. The Lord can work. Darlene Branscombe is sitting right back here. We pray for Darlene. Darlene's right there. Stand up, Darlene. I know I'll embarrass you, my dear friend. 
Darling, you had cancer, didn't you? Okay. How long ago was that? Amen. And, she, and we prayed. What I want you to understand is I want us to live in this. I don't want us to think about cripples that just get healed 2,000 years ago. I want us to let the power of the Holy Spirit move today. But I also want you to know that when there is the powerful outpouring of God's miraculous power, people tend to look just at the power. And what these pagans conclude is, these pagans conclude that the gods have come to live among us. Because they had an old story that was told that Zeus and Hermes, Hermes is like Mercury in the Roman pantheon. He's the speaker. Zeus is the main head god. And they had a story right where they were that was told by Ovid in Metamorphoses. It tells the story of Zeus and Hermes coming down to Lyconia, and they visit a thousand homes and nobody let them in. But finally they go to Philemon and Bothus, his wife, and this elderly old couple invites Zeus and Hermes into their home, this very humble abode. Zeus turns it into a great palace, makes the old couple his priests and priestess, and then the thousand people that didn't let him in, he destroys them. That's the story they have. So they're saying, we're not going to do that again. So they think Zeus and Hermes have now come in human form, which is a story that they were told over and over again. So they say, we're going to take care of this. We're going to welcome the city. Paul and Barnabas realize what's happened. They go running outside. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Because they don't understand what's happening. But I think they got the message when they have this big ox with its horns decked with flowers. And they see the knife coming out. They're going to sacrifice this, this big ox. Oh, no, man, what's happened? So look what Paul and Barnabas do. They go running out. They tear their clothes because that's what you do when you're really upset at a Jewish person. You think blasphemy is going to take place. They rush out in the crowd, verse 14, and went, men, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? We're only men. We're only human like you. We're bringing you good news. We're telling you to turn from your worthless things to the living God. We want you to turn from your worthless worship, worthless things. We want you to turn to the God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in it. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way. At the end of Genesis 11, the Lord let the nations wander. But the Lord didn't leave you without a witness. He started speaking to the Jewish people in Father Abraham in Genesis 12. It doesn't tell all the Lyconians that, but that's what he's thinking. In Genesis 11, it tells the story, the wandering nations. But God's heart is not to leave the nations wandering. It says that God even left those wandering nations a witness. What was the witness? And this is a witness that all your unbelieving friends have this week. And you can use what Paul says here with some of your real pagan friends. He says, God wants you to turn from your worthless thing to turn the living God. This is the God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in it. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way. He let them wander. Yet he did not leave himself without a testimony. He's shown kindness. Your unbelieving friends have experienced the kindness of God. It says that the Lord expressed his kindness by giving them rain from the heaven and crop in their seasons. This is great stuff for Texas farmers. He provides you with plenty of food. That's for all of us. I don't see anybody here that looks emaciated. It says he's given us plenty of food and fills our hearts with joy. Your unbelieving friends think that the God thing is the sucker on joy, turns away joy, produces a life of sadness. Paul declares to pagans, no, God's witness to you is that he fills your stomach, he causes crops to grow, and he fills your hearts with joy. It says, even when these were, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So then some Jews came. They dragged Paul outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, went back into the city the next day, and he and Barnabas left for Derby. Luke is saying, 
Even when Paul was stoned, the Lord didn't forget him. It goes on and talks about how Paul and Barnabas backpedal through their whole mission trip. It tells us something very important here is that they appointed elders in each church. And with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through the city, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had proclaimed the word in Perga, they keep on proclaiming the gospel. They go back to Atalia. Then they sailed to Antioch, which is where they started, where they had been committed to the grace of God. And arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that the Lord had done and how the Lord had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. The first mission trip is over. What happened? What did Paul and Barnabas, what were they able to tell? They told these incredible stories. Paul talks about being stoned in Lystra. I want you to know that the reason you can be bold in proclaiming the gospel is even if you get a rock in the head, if it isn't your time to go, you're going to be okay. All of you want to understand. I want you to be set free from fear. Because I want you to know you're not going to be able to stop it. Robert was here last Sunday. And now Robert isn't here. And Tanya is here and and Tori's here. We need to comfort them. Where is Robert today? You say, what about those opportunities for witness? This week, a whole bunch of you, when I got the word, I had just come back from Nebraska early Tuesday morning. And Bob Stanberry from Houston said, I just got something on the Internet from Tori. Something's happened to Robert. So, man, I'm trying to get my head on fog, trying to figure out, trying to recover from traveling. I get rushed down to Waktachi Lane. had already been there from 530, from the very beginning. He'd already been there. You got young pastor teachers that love people. And we're going to be okay if we do that. All week long, from being over at the house, neighbors in their community, because Lane and Deborah live in that area. Friday, when we had the funeral... We have their extended family here, and you all provided a meal for them. Everyone that can cook food, raise your hand real high. Do you realize that that's one of the most powerful ways that you can connect with people in today's world? It blows hatred away. It blows anger away, especially when someone dies, and you go over and you just have food. You are a loving, gracious, compassionate people. And it's not complicated. It's not razzmatazz, but over time, people that make meals and express love and give comfort because of Jesus, they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. Do you believe that? Well, then you're going to keep on doing it. So this week, you're part of a church family that reached out powerfully in a crisis situation. Now let's pray that that'll build. Keep boldly presenting the gospel. When you face persecution, run if you're going to get killed, but keep on trucking with the gospel and let his miraculous power flow. And then let's report, let's make reports in our church service and in our small groups about all the good things God is doing. The crowd will blow at the wind, but your incredible Savior in heaven will be a steady and he'll be steady forever.